Pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Episode 75, three quarters of a century here on PGE. Sam Lebowitz with Jack Hendon, as always, talking Mets last episode before opening day. Hope this would be more of a fun one, but it's been a tough week in Mets land. Injuries to both Mets ace pitchers, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, have left us feeling a little sad and a little bit confused about the direction of this team. Things are a little murkier right now. DeGrom is going to be out uh, probably two months at minimum. Scherzer's still kind of unclear. It's probably just a minor hamstring issue. Unclear if he makes the opening day start or not. But Jack, the vibes right now for the fans around this team are not as high as we want heading into real baseball games. No, not at all. It, it, it's, it's not where you want to be. The, uh, the needle has been shot through the balloon. As far as I'm concerned, this was going to be a really ceremonious week. And like, I don't know me personally, like if Scherzer needs time because of the hamstring, like give him some time, but man, losing Jacob DeGrom for what's going to probably be at minimum two months is just a killer. It's just, it's, it's, it, it defies our process as fans. I think we already endured uh, an entire second half season with no DeGrom. Um, we thought we were going to get a full season and it's just, I mean, I don't think anybody uh, was expecting a continuation of this kind. I think obviously when the, the tightness came up, we were assuming opening day was probably in jeopardy and he'd probably get, you know, maybe a 10, you know, a 10 day stint if, if they really weren't sure just to be precautionary, but this is a full blown, this is a scat problem. Um, it's going to take four months of just sitting through before you can even throw again. Uh, it, uh, it really uh, sucks. Jack, Jack, four weeks. What did I say? Four you months. Said, you said four months. Let's not get okay. ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Again. Four like, weeks. Sorry. But I mean, it could, right. It yeah. Really, at this point we, I mean, it's, yeah, it, 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 there's no knowing when he's going to come back. And also there's no, I think, really knowing at this stage in the injuries piling up, like what coming back really looks like for him. If it means he's making starts through the rest of the season, I, I don't really know. Uh, he's, he was resting on a, a partially torn UCL for a long time with a few bullpens here and there, and then had a whole offseason arrest, and now he's a shoulder problem. Um, I'm not in the camp that Jacob deGrom is washed or isn't good anymore or uh, can't carry a team or isn't an ace. I'm not someone who's here to pile on the guy, but really, how are we as fans to know that uh, we're not going to have some kind of scare, um, you know, at, at, uh, with this regularity? It's just mm -hmm. really, it's it's more than just a bummer. It's kind of like, I think for me, at least it was really, all right, this is just kind of, this is going to be the norm. And it, it feels a lot worse than, than a simple stint on the injured list. Yeah, no, it's, it's getting to the point with Jake's health that it's a trend. Um, you wonder what kind of strain his stuff puts on his body. Um, because no one is like Jacob deGrom in terms of their pitch mix, in terms of the velocities, in terms of the specifics of what he throws, the 
the fastball that consistently reaches the triple digits, the sliders that are in the low to mid nineties, the changeups that are not far behind that. I mean, I don't think there are pitchers in Jake's age bracket um, that can do the things that he does. And I think when you're looking at someone like Jake, who is not the most muscular guy um, who is tall and lanky and is more about flexibility training than he is about strength training and endurance rather than strength training, you start to wonder if his body at this age at 33 can really hold up under the stress that he puts it through while he's pitching. And it's gotten to the point where this is a guy who two years ago was starting to work towards like hall of fame conversations uh with the back-to-back Cy Youngs and now uh you really think that his health issues are playing a fairly large factor in his legacy uh Mm. especially considering what is impending and what is impending is starting to become a little more real for the Mets and for Mets fans and that is Jake is going to hit the open market come October come November uh, he, he reiterated, someone asked him if this injury changes his plan to opt out of his contract. He said, no, I still intend to opt out. And that's like a scary, scary reality. First of all, the, this, the, the, the possibility that he might miss two months plus is scary for this team that is already old and already built so heavily on this front end of their pitching staff. I mean, if he misses any more time than that, I'm not so convinced that this team can can hold up um, for an extended period of time without him. I think that they really rely on him to be that anchor in the rotation. Along with Scherzer, don't even get me started on Scherzer. If they don't have either of them, this team is screwed. Yeah, no, they're, they have, they have, I think, no chance if they don't have, um, you know, at least 45 starts between the two guys. Uh, it's And right now with Jake, really, like we're looking at, it could be anything from 10 starts to like 15 or 16 starts. And I'm, I'm definitely taking the under just knowing how these things tend to work out for us. And it, I don't know. I, I, I think it's also when you talk about impending free agency, this would be a really disappointing note. I think for us as fans uh, to, to end our relationship with Jacob deGrom as a New York Met. Um, I don't think that, he's particularly interested in leaving the organization just because he's going to opt out. He's clearly going to test his, you know, his value on the market and the Mets will match it if they think it's, it's worth their while. Um, And I think that they would definitely want to keep him given his stature in the organization in the franchise, no less, but um, we're, we've gone from back-to-back Cy Young awards to now back-to-back seasons in which injuries are pretty much going to disqualify him from winning a Cy Young. Um, injuries are going to disqualify him from, uh, you know, etching the Bob Gibson season that we were so sure we were going to get last year. Uh, I think that, and this is no fault of Jake's, obviously. I mean, all of this goes without saying that uh, this is not a, a development that reflects badly on, on the ACE as much as it just reflects on um, wear and tear of the human body, right? But it, it's, it would not be, I think, uh, it's not the way you want it to end if you're a Mets fan. You wanted Jake to 
put together what he needed to to cement a, a Hall of Fame candidacy, like you said, uh, it gets a lot harder at age 33 now with a whole new uh, arm problem. It's no longer a partially torn UCL, but it's a now it's a you know a stress reaction in a scapula, which is basically a fractured shoulder. Um, yeah, it it and yeah, to go to Scherzer, it's just. I mean, really now he can't miss any time. This rotation was built um, with a clear, really on a guarantee that even if we are to put together a good three through five and have at least three solid depth guys behind them, we are guaranteed to win every two games out of five because we have Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer going back to back. And now uh, I don't know how many back-to-backs of DeGrom Scherzer we even get this year. There's really no telling. And that's uh, a pretty big part of their plan that is that has been compromised. Yeah, it's the foundation of this roster is the two of them pitching in tandem on back-to-back days or in twice in any given series. And without them, the roster looks completely different. Max Scherzer doesn't seem all that concerned with his hamstring. He's throwing a bullpen on Tuesday. At that point, we'll know if he's going to be game for opening day. Uh, this, man, this this um, ramp up in spring training, the shortened spring training because of the lockout, seems to be screwing the Mets over a little bit more than other teams. I don't know if the ramp up is why Jake got hurt or why Scherzer tweaked his hamstring. But it certainly seems like everyone and their mother is dealing with some minor arm thing right now. Um, and it feels especially like it's it's tailored to the Mets. Listen, the sky's not falling. Buck Showalter said this earlier this week. The sky's not falling. It's just raining uh, with this team. There's no reason to necessarily panic without Jake. I think if it gets any worse, then it's time to panic in regards to Jake. If, if in a month we turn around and it's not healed, uh, properly and he can't start throwing again then then you know maybe time to panic at that point we'll also have an idea of actually how good this team is yeah um but scherzer scherzer seemed pretty ready i mean he threw 89 pitches a week ago uh in that that degrom scherzer tandem game in which jake went three and scherzer went six which turned out to be the highlight of the spring so far and and it's only gone down since then uh he threw 89 pitches that day. He was pretty much ready for opening day right then if he didn't tweak the hamstring. Um, so I'm not necessarily too, too concerned. We'll see how this bullpen on Tuesday goes. Mm-hmm. If it goes well, um, then I assume he'll he'll pitch opening day. Um, if not, who knows? Uh, yeah. The rest of the rotation looks okay. Chris Bassett's had a good spring um, since the trade. Taiwan Walker's made a couple of strong outings, but he's not really stretched out fully yet. Um, Carlos Carrasco has looked okay. I really only trust him as far as I can throw him right now until he comes out and, and proves himself to be a, a strong addition to this rotation. The one we were promised in that Carlos Carra- um, in the Lindor Carrasco trade. Right. Uh, and then it's probably Tyler McGill in that fifth spot, uh, which is fine. We know what we have with Tyler at this point. Um, and he looks he's looked pretty good this spring himself so who knows there i mean in an optimal world he'd be starting the year in triple a um and getting that opening day nod that i'm going to see on tuesday uh for syracuse rather than thomas sapucky but right 
duty calls and um, he's, he's pitching for the major league staff probably in that fifth starter spot. Uh, it's a shame that they have to cut into this depth so soon. Um, and in such a way um, with Jake missing an extended period of time. But again, I don't think it's time to panic yet. I think we are allowed to have a negative reaction to this. It's bad news, but I don't think it's time to panic just yet. Probably not. Although it does open a, a pretty open-ended question as to what this rotation is going to look like when they go into Washington. Um, you know, Tyler McGill is not only the fifth starter in some scenarios, but they've also discussed the oper- you know, the possibility that he pitches opening day, which uh Again, like we know who what McGill is, it's not the end of the world. It wouldn't be Dylan G pitching opening day, but it would also be, you know, a depth guy pitching opening day. And that's not how you want your season to start. You don't want to start your season necessarily with like a bullpen game either, where, you know, you're, you're throwing somebody three innings and then giving the ball to Trevor Williams. That's not how you start a series period because you need your arms through that, throughout that series. Now, thank God it's the Nationals that we're playing first and not the Phillies who have, uh, you know, a dynamite lineup and we're, you know, bound to run into some issues with the following week. But I mean, really, I don't know what it's going to look like at all. Uh, I mean, really don't really know what the bullpen's going to look like either at this stage. There are a lot of moving pieces. Uh, they made a trade today that we'll talk about. Uh, Miguel Castro is no longer there, but Joely Rodriguez is as a lefty if they need. Um, I'm, I'm wondering really if, if they even decide to pivot to like a six man rotation, since, as you said, Walker isn't fully stretched out and Carrasco is, uh, you know, probably it wouldn't hurt to pitch him every six days for a little while, instead of every five days, just given what we've seen. Cause I'm, I'm really not that impressed with him and, um, I'm not giving up on him at all, but he's clearly a five starter right now, um, with a lot to prove. Um, more to prove than to than than for um, you know for us to allow. Uh, I mean, really, what they may end up doing, as far as I'm concerned, and what may not be the worst idea is, I mean, because it might rain on Thursday too, which is the other thing. If we get pushed to Friday and then we get a Sunday doubleheader, which would be a nine inning doubleheader, mind you, I would probably just throw Bassett on Friday, and then maybe you not only bring Tyler McGill up with your roster, but you bring David Peterson along as well. And you have between him, Walker, Carrasco, um, and McGill, you have them working in tandem across those latter three games after Bassett. I don't think it's that uh, big an issue if Max Scherzer is not ready to, to pitch to the Nationals. If we have to miss him against the Nationals so that we get him to, you know, to pitch against the Phillies, that's probably fine but you're already potentially not only calling on McGill, but there's a scenario in which they're also calling on Peterson uh, to shore up the innings that Walker and Carrasco may not be able to give you. Yeah. Which is it's, it's day one, man. Like it's yeah. we're not even at day one yet. And they're already cutting into uh six and seven on the depth chart is, is not good news. This team needs more pitching depth and they almost had it. They were inches away from pitching depth. Yeah. Um, just yesterday, Saturday, the talk of the town all Saturday was this proposed trade between the Mets and the Padres that died about on the two yard line yeah. um, that would send Dom Smith to San Diego uh, in exchange for Eric Hosmer and a portion of his contract, Chris Paddock 
and uh, reliever Emilio Pagan, three guys who have some money attached. Um, Pagan has an option. Paddock has an option and three years of control left. Hosmer, they'd be taking on about 25 mil of the remaining money over four years. Um, And it would just be sending Dom back. And uh, the Padres taking a flyer on a guy whose value is still low in Dom Smith and doesn't have a lot of trade value. Trade didn't wind up happening. I think the Mets, the, the, the prevailing belief is that the Mets balked on even that much money on Hosmer, even though that's really just a fraction of what he's owed. Um, it'd be about six to seven mil a year over right. four years. Uh, they balked on it because I guess Steve Cohen now all of a sudden is afraid of the optics of having a $300 million payroll. The team is about 286 right now. Um, and acquiring those three players would put them right around 300, push them over slightly. Mm-hmm. So I think that it was an optics thing. It was a money thing. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the trade to begin with. Yeah. Uh, listen, if they could have flipped Hosmer, I would have had less of a problem with it. We don't really know what Dom Smith is right now. We don't know how he fits this roster or if he fits this roster. We do know that Chris Paddock, despite you know his villain antics with Pete Alonzo a couple of years ago, right. um, would have uh, fit fairly nicely in a depth, depth role with this team. The Padres have a ton of pitching depth. Now they traded for Sean Manaya from the A's today as the A's fire sale continues. Really the only piece remaining to be sent out of there is Frankie Montes who might actually stay because he's got two years of control remaining. Yeah. Uh, but the Padres are like loaded with pitching right now mm-hmm. in terms of depth. They've got Blake Snell. They've got Sean Manaya, They've got Mike Clevenger. They've got Chris Paddock. They've got Ryan Darvish. Weathers. They've got you Darvish. Um, they've Lamette. got Mackenzie Gore. They've got Denelson Lamets coming back from injury. They've got, I know I'm forgetting names. Well, there's yeah, there's Adrian Morahone. Yeah, who's also coming back from Tommy John surgery. I mean, it's 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 a it's pretty stacked, and they didn't have to dig into any of that to get Manaya either. Yeah, which it was a light the question of where the Mets were on that. But again, and then there's I mean, the then there's the question of of if they're going to flip Manaya. Was the immediate thing is that yeah. um, if Paddock wasn't good enough for the Mets, then could they flip someone else um, to the Mets in that Hosmer trade if they're really trying so desperately to get rid of Hosmer's contract? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen, uh, but I look at that pitching staff and I, I weep for the pitching depth because we have David Peterson where they have like Mike Clevenger, yeah. um, on the, their depth chart. So I, it's, I'm, first of all, on one hand, I'm glad the trade didn't happen because I don't want to have to root for Eric Hosmer and blue and orange. And I like Dom Smith and I like the idea of giving Dom some more at bats now that he's healthy, yeah. supposedly. But I also now with the injury woes on this pitching staff that are becoming apparent, um, an optionable starter who is capable of getting major league outs might not be nearly as good as we thought he was when he first came up as a rookie in Paddock. It's it's something that's really valuable. Yeah. And something that I think that this team needs pretty desperately. And I don't think that Tyler McGill fits that mold as well as you'd like him to be fitting that mold in terms of an optionable starter they do have him and peterson but i think having paddock would have been nice i'm 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 definitely i think uh in the camp of the guy is actually pretty good probably i mean you look at his predictive numbers they were fine he has a good enough change up that the mets clearly thought they could work with 
Um, I really don't care and have never cared for the the beef between him and Alonzo. I think that was really just like, you know, us loving Pete because he was a rookie who broke through in the first month and, you know, defending him tooth and nail. Like if if the shoe had been on the other foot and, and Alonzo had lost and it said those things about Paddock and then performed against Paddock the way Paddock performed against Alonzo, we would have all been on the other side of this. We would have been thrilled. Um, I think like hating Chris Paddock because he was upset he didn't win rookie of the month uh, three years later is, is just kind of weird. Um, and I'm, I'm not someone like, I don't think the guy's a bad guy. Like, I think that's stupid. And I think he's a good pitcher. Um, yeah, I agree. I, 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 I would, would have entertained Dom for Paddock straight up. Honestly speaking, I would have thought about it as much as I love Dom and as primed as I think he might be for a bounce back because he, like you said, he's healthy. Um, but I did not want to have four years of Eric Hosmer. That was just where I drew the line personally. Um, even at six million a year, I think after year two, not only are you would you then have Hosmer, but you'd have Cano. Hosmer, you can't really put anywhere except first base, and he's probably a worse defender at first than not only Pete, but also Dom. Um, he hits the ball on the ground and refuses to do otherwise. Uh and it, it was apparent that no one else would be willing to arrange something for the Mets to flip Hosmer to them for a worthwhile return. So well, I'm not, not necessarily. I, we were hearing all day that there were teams that wanted Hosmer on the, the cheaper side that if the Mets would be eating money, like the Cubs kind of have a fairly large hole at first base right now. I mean, unless they're really keen on playing Frank Schwindel over there every day, like, I don't know. Right. Uh, well, I think that they would have done that though. The Mets would have made that deal if they had been, uh, intrigued enough with the package that they would get back. So at that yeah. point, you're giving up Dom, you're getting Paddock, you're getting Pagan, who Pagan isn't very good. Uh, he's got a huge home run problem. He throws hard, but I think it really ends there with him. You would need another guy if you're flipping Hosmer. And if that guy is just like, I don't know, like, like Alec Mills, is it really, I mean, are you making that deal with the Cubs? Like, I don't think Alec Mills is really depth at all. I, I mean, Alec Mills is basically, better. Alec Mills at this point is basically Chris Paddock uh, in terms of value, right? Option, like they're both optionable players. Oh, you, no, with... you, you would be getting Paddock anyway, is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. You'd be getting Paddock, but is, is Alec Mills really like, I mean, you probably want a hitter, more, more than anything else, if you're giving up Dom and you're flipping your one bat that you're getting back. I mean, so Mills isn't a good example, but like oh, the trade I, that they should make with the Cubs is Wilson Contreras. Well, yeah, that out there. That's that the would trade they should make with the Cubs yes, for many um, reasons for yes, for many reasons. That is the trade they should make with the Cubs. Um, they're not going to, obviously. Right. Um, but if there's a trade to be made there, it should be for Wilson Contreras. I agree with you. I think that the Dom to San Diego including Hosmer setup is a whole lot more intriguing with a third team involved. Um, there was a complication in that in Hosmer's contract, it stipulates he can't be traded twice without his permission. So he has a limited no trade clause. The Mets are not on it. As of now, he can be traded to the Mets without his permission, but the second he gets traded to the Mets, the Mets, he, it, the, it, his trade clause becomes a full no trade clause. Um, and he would need to give permission to any second deal if the Mets were going to try to flip him, which I don't think there would be any incentive for him to not necessarily um, accept a second trade. But I do think that it would have made more sense for the Mets to just get a, a third team involved straight up instead of having to overly complicate things 
by enacting that clause in his contract and just do a three-team trade rather than a single trade than a flip. Um, I think it would have made more sense to get a third team involved. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to root for Eric Hosmer because I think I had, I had a bigger issue with Hosmer for sure than Paddock. I don't really care about Paddock at this point. Yeah. He's kind of a non-factor, a non-character. Yeah. Um, Hosmer was, was and is still extremely antagonistic in the minds of Mets fans because of his role in that 2015 team. Every time we see the damn highlight um, in game five of Lucas Duda's throw home, he's right there for us to be for us to be reminded of uh, his yeah. role in that world series and it hurts and it stinks and we don't like him. Um, and he is still kind of that figurehead for me in that world series. I know like he didn't win world series MVP. I know Mike Moustakis was the, the one who was yelling and screaming at Noah Syndergaard, but for me, Eric Hosmer was the 2015 Royals. Um, yeah. and will always remind me of the 2015 Royals. He's also one of my least favorite players in baseball. Cause as you said, He's vastly overrated defensively at first base, despite what internal metrics might be telling teams. External public ones do not like him at first base, even though those metrics probably need work um, and fine-tuning themselves. Uh, And he hits the ball on the ground too much. He's a guy that could probably benefit from a swing change and by adding more loft into his game and hitting the ball in the air more, but he's not going to do that because he is the kind of player who – doesn't really care about hitting home runs and wants to work the count, hit the ball the other way, hit the ball on the ground to the right side to advance a runner and yada, yada, yada stuff that doesn't really work in today's game for advancing runners. The shift hurts him a lot because he hits the ball on the ground a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not a good player. He's not very good. The contract is fine. The money is fine. If they were to acquire him at the $6 million a year price point that was reported, um, the player is bad. Yeah, and you're and, already carrying like you're already carrying Robinson Cano. Like that's your yeah. bad player who you have to have. And I also think that maybe part of the reason, and this is not an endorsement of that reason, but just thinking about um, where the Mets may where their heads may be in this, because really they've been at the same price point, there is the same figure um, payroll wise since they signed Ottavino. I think that what has been said about them is that. They're not going to make any more deals that push them towards $300 million until it's time to do that at the deadline, when it's time to push the team over the top. I think you should just be doing this now because you might not be in a position to deal for anyone at the deadline if your team sucks. Um, But that may be why they're not at least, you know, overly excited to pull the trigger on a deal that wouldn't make them that much better as it would in one way, I think, keep them afloat having Paddock. But really, at the same time, like, I don't think this this ends with Chris Paddock. You could have gotten Sean Mania. That, that, that package that the Padres gave up for him was a negligible amount of, of prospect capital. There was little that you would have had to give up in order to have Sean Mania on your team right now. Um, they still could have traded for Tyler Molly. Like, I don't think either of us thought after the Chris Bassett deal that it necessarily needed to end with acquiring Chris Bassett. Um, but it seems like for the Mets, that's what they've ended up doing. Um, I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked about where this leaves them pitching wise. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't really have that much else to add about Hosmer. I don't like him. I think like really, if you're a first baseman and you're not going to hit the way first baseman should hit, and you're not going to field like period, you know, why are you going to get paid $6 million? At least with Dom Smith, there's the 
the possibility that he still hits. Um, I know that his career numbers aren't great numbers. I know he wasn't great last year and Hosmer was statistically better, but we know why Dom wasn't good last year. Um, We know why he might be better this year. Um, I think it's foolish to ignore that completely. And then there's the matter of positional versatility. This team doesn't really have a clear-cut fourth outfielder right now. Dom is not a good outfielder, but the fact that you can stick him in left field on any given day and trust him to not completely screw up out there, I think, is also another aspect here. Yeah, you could probably throw an outfielder glove on Eric Hosmer's hand, but he's never really played the outfield. Uh, I don't think you can personally. I don't think you can. I don't think it matters though. Like, I don't think it matters either. Yeah. Uh, I mean like Travis Jankowski, the writings on the wall is probably making this roster. So um, as the fourth outfielder, Dom's probably not going to play too much outfield, but the point being is that he could, if someone goes down, Mm -hmm. whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, But the positional versatility aspect, I think also played a role for me in the head, in my head. I don't know. Uh, I think this team needs to sign a starting pitcher or trade for a starting pitcher who, who can be a depth guy or a fifth starter type in the interim um, so that there's less pressure on McGill to perform as that uh, as a youngster. Um, right. We I already think get that to him from June through September. I mean, yeah, I know we're all here. well, and, I know it's, it's, it's all well and good and fun to joke about, but like, would signing Johnny Cueto to a minor league contract, letting him ramp up for three weeks and then bringing him up in that fifth starter role, would that be so bad? Probably I not. don't think so. Probably not. He, he's probably the best guy that's left amongst those free agents, right? I mean, Chris Archer's gone. You could, I mean, really, it's like there's Cueto and then there's like Mike Fires and Jay Happ and Matt Harvey. At, um, at the very least, right? At the very least, Cueto would be entertaining. Yes, I think so. Um, I mean, yeah, you obviously don't sign guys just because they're entertaining. I mean, I'm not I, like, you know that we, we both know that. But yeah, I mean, there's Brett Anderson. Um, I think really it, it, it's at this point, it's it's probably just Cueto. It's Cueto or, or trade. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I, they're making another trade. I think that this was the yeah. trade that they were going to make. And now they're not going to make a trade. Well, they made the trade today, which we can also talk about. But like. Yeah. Um, in terms of big trades that are actually going to impact this team too too much, well, I don't even want to say that because this was a weird trade. Let's let's pivot to that to the trade they did yeah. make today, which kind of came out of nowhere to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miguel Castro, they flipped him across town to the Yankees. Um, the guy who effectively was like slotted in as their like the fourth reliever on the depth chart, uh, fourth or fifth guy in the depth chart, um, is now a Yankee, and they acquired Joely Rodriguez, a thirty year old uh, Dominican left hander who the Yankees acquired from the Rangers in the Joey Gallo trade, who was pretty good for the Yankees down the stretch. He can't really get right-handers out, um, but he can get left-handers out at a high rate. Best pitches a changeup, throws in the low to mid-90s. Um, weird, weird contract with the Yankees stipulates uh, that he was to be a free agent after this season, despite only having a hair over two years Major League service time. He's also got like two years of uh, service time overseas um, but both him and Castro impending free agents after this season um, so it's kind of a one-for-one flip um, the Yankees get another ground ball reliever Castro they now have like four guys in their bullpen who are top 30 among ground ball rate and relievers including Castro Castro was like towards the bottom of that top 30 which is like, great for us because of our shifting and everything but mm-hmm. 
with you know Clay Holmes and Jonathan Loizaga leading that contingent, yeah. um, Zach Britton. I think Lucas Litke is really good at getting ground balls too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously he he adds to that. Well, they'll see if they can fix him and teach him how to throw strikes at a higher level. And the Mets will uh, aim to see if Rodriguez can be anything of value. That that it's gonna be probably him and Jason Shreve. I assume as the lefties in his bullpen now. Maybe yeah. they'll take Alex Claudio because they have those two extra spots. Um, but like, this is not a crossover guy. This is a pure lefty outgetter guy, um, which is an interesting thing to roster in today's game with the three batter minimum. Yeah. Um, he's also had kind of a bad spring in his major league numbers before coming to the Yankees, in which he was like serviceable and fine for about 19 innings and 21 appearances. Uh, like his his numbers with the Rangers are like not good. Yeah. Well, I would chalk that up to probably like trying to figure out a good pitch mix uh, to come back with. Um, Cause it seems like the changeup from what I've drawn is a really effective pitch that he throws against righties, but is a lot harder to, I think, execute and control against lefties. He also doesn't like have any spin on his fastball. He's a sinker guy who throws a four seamer throws it like kind of hard but it's a little bit like the justin wilson fastball where like it runs arm side a lot um i don't really know it, it seems like by dealing castro and bringing back a lefty probably a better lefty than shreve and pr- definitely a better lefty than claudio um they're trying to i think like just get stronger in one area at the risk of getting a little bit worse in another one because you no longer have someone like Castro who has a very, you know, as it is good ground ball makeup and as it could be a very high upside. Um, and a guy who brings a, a rather unique element to the bullpen with just the pure stuff that he has with the, the, yeah. the sinker that runs in at 99, the slider and the changeup with both, which both flash plus like, I'm not sure this move makes the Mets bullpen better. I don't know if it, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely waiting to see if it does. I'm not like, I'm not convinced that it makes them worse. Like this could really be their way for all we know of graduating Drew Smith into the Miguel Castro role while simultaneously improving from the left side. But I also think that you were probably fine to just have Castro and Smith together in your bullpen because Smith was looking really good and we know what Castro can be. I mean, obviously we know what Castro looks like when he's not on and it's very frustrating to watch but yeah giving him up I, I don't know and I think the Yankees are probably almost definitely going to get results out of him uh, which yeah they're 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 pretty smart org in terms of pitch design they got Holmes right um you know they got Licky right they they got Rodriguez right for a minute um I mean you just hope they, got Wandy, they, they, they did some magic on Wandy Peralta even like yeah yeah, uh, something's going on there. Something yeah, there. they're they're pretty smart org all in all in terms of the on-field stuff. And so, I mean, good luck to Miguel over there and good luck to Yankee fans who get to endure him when he's not at his best because that is not fun. Um, but, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how this bullpen actually, like, irons itself out uh, from the Mets. I mean, does this open a spot uh, more of an avenue for one of the AAA arms that we talked about with Tim Britton uh, to to assert themselves and come up um, early in the season if they have a good start in AAA, like an Eric Orze. Uh, or, I mean, Colin Holderman has been a, a storyline in spring yeah. training just because he's the the off-Mets relief prospect who can chuck 99. Yeah, he's the guy spring... they, 
they've it's, written the articles about this year. Yeah, even though the spring numbers are not like eye popping, the actual performance to watch has been intriguing at least. Um, and we are apparently making Colin Holderman a thing um, now. So does does this open up a possibility with Drew Smith sliding up in the depth chart one? Uh, from the right side for like an Orzara Holderman to to do something on this major league roster sooner rather than later, perhaps, for yeah. sure, perhaps. Um, but Wandy Peralta, I mean, not Wandy Peralta, Joely Rodriguez, I've gotten my, my former Yankee lefties mixed up, um, yeah. is, I don't know, it remains to be seen because I'm just not convinced that the numbers are there. Um, the changeup is intriguing. He can get lefties out. Um, but I, I, I think we've discussed this on the podcast before. The fact that this this roster needed a left-hander was something, but it, it more so, it was not necessarily someone who was left-handed. It was someone who can get lefties out, but also probably be a crossover guy. Not yeah. even necessarily someone who had to be left-handed. Like, there's no rule saying you need to carry a left-handed pitcher. Right. And Ottavino is someone who has success even last year in a you know, up and down year, he, he had consistent success against left-handed hitters. So it's not, I don't think it's really um, all that much of a concern that you have like a designated guy who throws with his left hand. Um, I'm probably okay now with like Rodriguez and Shreve being your two lefties again, though, like, yeah, I mean, you really got to hope that Drew Smith uh stays healthy in in a Castro type role and you hope that whoever takes Drew Smith's spot is going to be good enough because I mean really right now the bullpen as it's currently constructed even more so with the injuries to starters like it's going to be spread out a lot beyond your four guys or I guess five guys now with Rodriguez like Trevor Williams has to be there because you have to have an innings guy in there if Travis Jankowski makes the team that splits them between 14 hitters and 14 pitchers. But it does seem like they're going to keep Jankowski. Literally, as the Smith rumors were going about yesterday, the, the internal temperature was that um, the organization thinks that Travis Jankowski can play the outfield well enough that they no longer need Smith's bat there. So, yeah, Jankowski makes the team. Um, and Williams is there. And Sean Reed Foley is out of options. So he has to be there. Um, you don't really like have that much flexibility. Uh, I guess, yeah, I wonder what that is, what that roster is going to look like. I mean, really, do you put McGill and Peterson on there together um, as starters? Do you? Well, you the know, fact you, it's weird because the fact that yeah. Peterson is not starting opening day in Syracuse is an indicator to me. Yeah. That either he's not going to be in Syracuse well, that's it, is that he's probably not going to be in Syracuse. Right. They wouldn't start him like the fourth game of the year when, you know, if someone gets hurt, like in the majors, the fifth or sixth day, he's out of commission for two more days. That that doesn't, I feel like he has to make the team if he's not, you know, yeah, getting well, going I mean, from the top. Are we doing taxi squads this year? Like, could he be taxi squatted in case Scherzer can't pitch opening day and they need another arm on the roster to and then maybe goes to Syracuse and pitches that second series for Syracuse. I don't know. I mean, right. It's, it is intriguing to me that obviously Peterson is more is higher on the depth chart than Thomas Sapucky, but Sapucky's getting that opening day nod yeah. for Syracuse. It's something to keep an eye on. Um, I mean, we could probably do some checking on the minor league rosters internally 
um, through our through our channels to see if if Peterson's on that Syracuse roster or not on that on that first draft of it. I don't really I don't know as of now. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of different ways that this pitching staff can go in, especially now that you've kind of opened up more of a higher leverage spot with Castro out. Yeah. Um, it's intriguing to me. I don't know. We'll we'll see how it shakes out. Obviously, we'll know by Thursday all of this stuff. Probably no Tuesday, all of this stuff. But right. um, as of now, the the direction of the team, it's it's fascinating to me that this is uh, the conversation now because really the offense, I'm not too concerned about as of now. Um, the team on the offensive side, they look pretty good. Uh, yeah. and, and all the conversations right now are pitching. I mean, the team won today 8-4 to four over the Marlins. Yeah. Um, Eduardo Escobar had another home run. He's got three of those in eight spring training games. Um, Robinson Cano had four hits. Um, I don't know what to make of his offense right now. It doesn't it's seem weird. like bad. Yeah. I mean, well, Pablo Lopez did not look very good. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to like write off any Cano success because I think for all of us, um, it would be better if, you know, if, if Cano weren't here and in, in that position, we're going to someone a little bit better, but if he hits, he hits. I mean, if he gets, if he drops the bat enough and, and gets the low pitches, um, you know, he, he might still be serviceable, you know, as a bat at least, but um, yeah, I, I don't really know. It seems, it seems to this point, like he's definitely going to make the team. Um, they're, well, not gonna, yeah. they're not going to cut him. They're not, you know, they, they, they gave up trying to trade him. Um, he's not going anywhere. He's, no, he's not. getting reps at DH. He's getting reps at first. He's getting reps at second, maybe even some third. I mean, he's played third a little in the past. I, who knows? Uh, would you would you like to do some quick Mets predictions here um, before we remember some guys for for a few minutes? Yeah, we could. I mean, we had a lot of fun stuff about Degrom and Scherzer in the chamber before uh, before Thursday. Which, by the way, yeah, that happening on April Fool's Day uh, and being real, total Cruel. bullshit. Total bullshit. Um, I I think the only thing worse than bad April Fool's stuff on April Fool's Day is like actually like earth shattering information that isn't a joke. Um, and you should just if you are a journalist, uh, I think the right thing to do is to wait to, till the next day so that it's no longer an April Fool. Um, well, we can still go with what we have. Uh, rank them top four most wins above replacement uh, uh, position players. How do you rank them? Lindor, Marte, Alonzo, Dom Smith. All I right. Think, I think Dom bounces back pretty well. I've got a little bit different of a makeup here. I still have Lindor at the top. Um, I'm not so sure. Like, I, I don't want to say – it's not that I don't think Sterling Marte will be good. But I don't want to say him and then we lose a lot of time with Starling Marte because he gets hurt or something. Um, so I'll take just the, the compilers uh, route here. Lindor is my number one. Um, and let's just say we're using F4, right? Because if it's if it's our war, like Lindor gets this even if he doesn't hit. Um, so F4, Lindor first. I got Alonzo second. Um, I think he's looked, I think he's looked really good. I think he's gonna have a good year. Uh, I got McNeil third. I think he's going to bounce back. Um, I think he's probably most likely to bounce back up the guys. And I got Nimmo fourth. Uh, Dom and JD, I both think are going to have good seasons. I just can't tell you like how much they're going to play. That's a fair point. The playing time is is fair. Yeah, I mean, it probably Nimmo's top four 
so I'll, I'll wear that one if I'm wrong on Dom. And then, so we got that one. Um, this one isn't as fun because at the time we were like super stoked at the thought of having DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett going all together, but now they won't be. But who makes the most starts after DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, i.e. who stays in the rotation the longest um, between the next four guys on the depth chart? I think the answer is probably Taiwan Walker, but I just I'm getting a sneaking suspicion we're getting 30 Tyler McGill starts this year. Like I'm getting a sneaking suspicion he winds up sneaking his way on the major league roster from start to finish. I think it is going to be Tyler McGill. I don't know if it's going to be 30 starts, but I think it's probably going to be like at least 120 innings. Like he's going to be the guy. Um I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I would have kind of liked it if they, they'd, they'd embrace the bullpen idea. But if, you know, if the times call for it, he's got to start. Um, I think yeah. he's probably the most likely to hold up across a whole year between him, Walker, and Carrasco. And I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe David Peterson gives you something too, but I, I'm, I'm taking McGill also on that. Most starts. And I'll say 120, 125 innings. Um, which one of these do you want to take next? Um, we can go, I like, I like the James McCann WRC plus predictor one. Yeah. I think that's a number. He had Uh, 80 last year. He got 80 last year. Can we trust him to be better or worse? I think, I think, okay. Well, logic to me dictates that he can't be quite as bad. So I want to go higher, but also I don't, uh, it's the Mets and he's not a good player. So he could be worse. Um, but I think I'm going to err on the side of like a similar, but slightly better season and say like 86. I would go a little bit higher and say 90. Um, I think that it's going to be like, I think it's going to be better than last year. I also think part of why it may end up being better than last year is because the Mets give Tomas Nito a little bit more time and the two, kind of gets a split in that way and neither one gets overworked um yeah uh, Tomas has had a really nice spring offensively too I mean I wouldn't put it past Tomas to uh, get some some starting um spread and and maybe even uh flip the depth chart a little bit if he turns out to be like an actual capable starting catcher not a top tier starting catcher we're not expecting him to hit like JT Real Muto but um certainly someone who can just be back there four to five times a week and and you can trust to not be a complete empty spot in your batting order yeah if you can be if you're a catcher and you can put up 90 i think that's probably fine just given the the demands of that position so i'll get i'll give them 90 we'll go 86 to 90 um who oh this is not mets related where does conforto sign Cause it's going to happen. It can't not happen. He can't go the whole year without going somewhere. Yeah. I think maybe Texas at this point, That's I think, I think Texas could be a fit. I think Houston could be a fit. Weirdly enough, there's not been chatter there, but I think that could be a fit. Um, I'm not sure. I think, I think I will say the Texas Rangers. I've got the Dodgers. I'll tell you why I've got the Dodgers. The Dodgers gave up AJ Pollock earlier this week. 
they have traded Matt Beatty. They have traded Luke Rayleigh. Um, they, I honestly, Cody Bellinger might actually no longer be a major league hitter. I don't know what's happened to him this spring. If you look at his numbers, they're not just bad. It's like Tim Tebow bad. It's like horrendous. It's like 30 plate appearances and he has struck out in like 24 of them. It's like Shaq Thompson numbers. Um, It's, it's, it's not what you want. I think the Dodgers are going to find themselves in a position, especially in that division that they're in, where not only could they fall behind, but they could lose an opportunity to improve uh, and get a reinforcement in there. I think they're going to take the flyer on Conforto, give him some time to recover. I think he's going to be a Dodger. That's 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 my pick on there. Oh, um, I like it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think the Rangers could make sense. Uh most eighth inning appearances. This is going to be interesting because it was pretty spread out last year. Um, I think probably Trevor May. Maybe I think I think I'll I'll go safe on that one, right? I think yeah. I mean, part of it is not just like which guy will be the best for the eighth inning. It's also like which guy is not going to get called in to bail someone out in the middle of the sixth. Right, because like Aaron Loop didn't have that many eighth inning appearances despite being their best reliever because he was always called in with like two outs in the sixth or two outs in the seventh. Um, so I'm probably, I would have said Seth Lugo, but I don't know if Lugo is going to be like, um, I think Lugo might assume a kind of loop role. I think Ottavino probably will also to some extent to get emergency outs. I think May is probably the safest pick. I'll go with Trevor May. I think it's, I think Trevor May gets the eighth um, and Diaz gets the ninth. So um, yeah. I hope the answer is Drew Smith. I would like to see that. That could be fun. I mean, he's looked good this spring. I mean, we talked about, I talked about Smith and I was very like, oh, you know, if he doesn't get hurt, which yes, I mean, he needs to stay healthy, but really this is the first time he's flashed, uh, another good secondary pitch off of the fastball which remains a pretty good fast pitch um but he now has this like they they call it a cutter it looks nothing like a cutter though it drops it, it looks like a slider um, it's a slider it's it's a slider but it's good it's i would it's i good. would love love lockdown reliever drew smith yeah we've been waiting high leverage for lockdown too yeah high leverage lockdown reliever drew smith make it happen let's do it why not yeah, yeah um the tyler mcgill award uh this i never explained but it would go to the player currently not on the 40 who ends up uh being the most valuable of the non-40 guys that they call up this is sort of inspired by um some of like i guess the tier work we did um with some of the you know some of the many guys that they called on last year it's really hard to forecast this though, because it may be a guy who is not even in the organization yet. Yeah, it. I don't know. I mean, the logical one I think for me is like a Josh Walker, um, who's like yeah. a twenty-seven-year-old lefty who was really good in Syracuse last year. Uh, I think that could work. Um, maybe a Tom Hackamer. That would be fun. The hack, yes. Odd. He gets. I think Hack is a good pick. Um, um yeah i think i think i'll go with like josh walker i think that like the starting depth might take a hit and then they need to go off the 40 man or something i don't know yeah yeah that could work 
I think Hack could be in the running. Um, honestly, I know we just ragged on like everybody for suddenly talking about Colin Holderman, but it really does seem like the Mets are primed to call on the guy when they need to call on somebody who isn't on the 40 already. So I'm probably gonna I'm I'm probably gonna say Colin Holderman as my McGill Award. This we're both probably gonna be very wrong on this, even if the guys we pick end up actually coming up and being good. Like it it never ends up being someone that you expect. So yeah, um, yeah, kind of like you're you know the the sleeper prospect, but not really a prospect thing. Um, but I mean Holderman, man, I mean throwing a hundred and you know, a pretty good changeup. He definitely would have gotten stolen in the rule five draft. So it's a good thing we didn't have one. Um, what else is there? I, I don't think either of them get dealt, but between Dom and JD, you know, who gets dealt first? I don't think either of them do. I guess the better question is who gets the more, who gets more plate appearances. I would say that I think that Dom is the more likely to get dealt just based on the, the conversation of the past 24 hours. But who gets them? I would say I think JD probably gets the most played appearances, but I, w- I would prefer it be the opposite way. I think I prefer Dom get more played appearances. I'm not sure though. I'll I think it's going to be I think it's going to be Dom just because JD seems to get hit by pitches like once a month. And I again, this is another thing where I really hope I'm wrong, but because JD actually hit pretty well last year and only ended up getting about 200 played appearances because he kept getting hurt, but. Um, I don't know. I think that I think that they're probably going to lean on Dom a little bit more. Uh, so there's that. Um, I think Dom gets more reps. I think uh, JD probably gets like more starts, um, but I think Dom comes into games more probably and and um, stays healthier. Sir, I think this this bogs down to the conversation of like who's getting the most of the DH reps. Yeah. Um, or what they do with the DH position. Cause if like Dom, it just starts raking and becomes the DH, then it's going to be Dom. If, if it decide if they decide to do more of a utility thing where JD DH is against lefties, Cano DH is some Dom DH is some Pete DH is some with Dom in the field. Like it's, it's, I think a little more nuanced, but if it becomes like, there is going to be like one starting designated hitter. Um, I think I would put that more so for Dom. Um, but anyone's best guess at this point yeah and then this last one is probably a good place to end on it looking at the three new guys that we have in this lineup right Eduardo Escobar Starling Marte Mark Hanna how do you rank the three of them from highest to lowest in plate appearances and how do you rank them in OPS I think we're getting a ton of Eduardo Escobar yeah Um, so I would rank him first in plate appearances and then Marte and then Canna I'm I'm in the same camp, yeah. And then I would go Marte Escobar Canna in OPS. I think Marte's gonna have a strong year if he stays healthy. He looks great right now in spring training. Yeah, yeah. Marte looks good. I think Escobar looks really good too. I think he's definitely gonna get the most plate appearances just because between third base and second base, they're probably always gonna have a place for him. And he typically stays healthy through a whole season. Yeah, and I'm just um, not convinced about Marcana as as a cap as like a capable everyday bat anymore. Yeah. And my issue with Escobar is that he's fine. I know he's hit the three homers in eight games, but like he hits like these sky shot fly balls that just like carry over the fence. 
Yes. And I'm not sure that those are going to be uh, especially prevalent um, at City Field for him. I think that he might find himself hitting quite a few warning track fly balls, um, which is going to tank some of that value. Yeah, I think I chalk it up more to I think Marte is just the best, most dynamic like hitter. of. The oh, absolutely. Run. It's like it, I think Marte is going to give you the most uh, yeah, Marte is the the best of the three yeah um but the reason that I don't even think it's going to be close is I think Escobar is going to be um lacking in the power department based on you know it, it, as a departure from what we've seen yeah I I, I still kind of like Escobar for like a, a 760 770 um that may yeah. be a little bit high again because he's going to a pitcher's park but uh I don't know I I I I see good things in, in Eduardo Escobar. I think the only one of them that really has uh, real potential to, to not work out would be Marcana. And that's, if anything, it's, it's a matter of health. You know, he's already like 33 years old um, and he had some back problems during the year and they seem intent on putting him in the outfield uh, for regular reps between left field and center field. So I don't know how that holds up. Um I know I sound like the Grim Reaper talking injuries. Um, I'm really just thinking about this pragmatically, just you know, as a Met fan, like seeing how this always goes. Um, yeah, and these but, these are these are players in their mid thirties. Like yeah. stuff happens. They're old. Yeah. yeah. Bodies break down when you're an athlete and you're in your thirties. It's it happens. I mean, we'll we'll certainly see. Shall we uh, remember some guys? Uh yeah, we should. We can remember some guys. What about win total? Um, ballpark win total 87. Yeah, that's where I, 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 I would say 86. I, I had 86 thinking about this team earlier today, thinking about how it would answer that. I don't think they're a 91 team anymore. I think the Braves and Phillies have made it a lot harder for them to win those kinds of games. Um, I still have them like making a wild card format i don't know how far they go in it really but i we you know the predictions don't necessarily end today we'll probably have a few more as the season gets started because um this episode really i think we were dead set on predictions and then we got three pieces of 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 very heavy news so we're going to table the big league predictions for next week um and hope that nothing abjectly horrible or you know platform changing happens between now and then that would make it harder to make basic predictions so yeah with 87 for you i've got 86 um yeah let's remember some guys let's remember some guys and get and get gone um you go first i'm gonna be mean uh eric hosmer discourse has me thinking about 2015 in royals uh, and i'm gonna remember someone who's technically a shadow met uh christian cologne Christian Cologne. Oh God. Yeah. He got the hit, didn't he? Yeah. He got the hit. And then he spent all of 2018 or most of 2018 in Las Vegas. Yeah. 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 He did. God, that was, that was like, because I was at that game when he got the hit and I think I'm so that sorry really, for you. yeah, it's, it's weird. I almost feel like that gets talked about the least amongst the backbreakers, which is ironic because it was, the last time the Mets ever were tied in that series, as soon as he got that hit, it was all over. It was as final a, a, a kill as you could have had. But 
the Gordon home run was, you know, talked about a lot. I think really they, we talk more about the things that should have been prevented, could have been prevented. You know, Cespedes kicking the, the Escobar ball, Gordon hitting the home run, uh, Murphy uh, botching the ground ball in game four, and then due to making the bad throw. And the Harvey, you know, the Harvey decision too was like, you know, whether you think it was good or bad, it was pretty much a preventable one. But Christian Cologne getting the hit was just like, all right, well, that's it. And it is very, I think that's a very Mets way to lose games also that mm-hmm. doesn't get talked about enough because we always fall for it, right? Yeah. Guy comes up with, you know, 50 plate appearances on the season and ends your season. Um, we could do a whole tournament on that, really. Yeah, 107 at bats for the Royals in 2015. Connor Gillespie comes to mind. Um, Greg Dobbs is a guy from like my childhood who probably precedes yours a little bit, who used to torch the Mets off the bench. Willie Harris. We've got a trade. Not a Mets-related one, but this is an interesting trade. Just broke. Jeff Passan just now. The White Sox and Blue Jays are swapping catchers. Zach Collins to Toronto for Reese McGuire. That is okay. So it's backups. All right. Well, that's, that's an interest. Okay. Well, the, the Blue Jays now have a, a, a pretty interesting platoon with some power potential with him and Danny Jansen. Both of those guys can yeah. ball the ballpark. I think the Jays are going to be really good. I really like them this year. Um, I agree. That's Yeah. Okay. I thought at first when you said catchers, I was like, no way did they give up Grandall. There's yeah. Which. White Sox would be very dumb to do that. He's very, very good. And the Mets almost had him. Talk about former future Matt. He has money for Okay. Twice. Um, yeah. They probably could have signed him two different times. Yes. Yeah, really. But we picked a guy with high batting average. We picked guy who stinks. Wilson Ramos. Oh, man. Are we remembering Wilson Ramos? Would you like to? Feel free. No, but I'm not, I'm not going to remember Wilson Ramos, but I think I will remember the 2019 Mets because we are at that point. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't really feel like doing Wilson Ramos. Um, I'm going to remember Joe Panic, who uh, did pretty much exactly what you assumed Joe Panic would do. He played 39 games. 103 plate appearances. He was a slap hitting second baseman who the who went to St. John's and was from New Jersey and the Giants had just cut him. And, you know, the the, uh, the Mets made vague, uh, you know, New Jersey, New York noises and offered him a contract. And he it was a one year thing. It was very brief. He had 277. Uh, he slugged 404. 98 OPS plus pretty good defender pretty decent from the left side of the plate he was certainly serviceable in his brief yeah he was he was probably better than I thought he was going to be because usually when we take flyers on guys and they're like that's a New Yorker you know it's always like like Frank Catalanato or or just somebody who really you know or like I mean the pitching side of this would be when they signed Rick Porcello although there was a lot more wrong with that than them playing the local kid thing. But Joe Panic was, uh, you know, yeah, serviceable. And he was another, I think, like, kind of fun piece from that run that they made for two months. Yeah, he which, hit, like, a big home run at one point, didn't he? I think it was the last game of the year. He hit a home run in, like, the eighth inning. And they uh, would have won, but Edwin Diaz blew the save. 
I really think a lot about how that team would have done that year if Edwin Diaz had not blown so many saves. It was that was really like the yep. one thing that killed them. But um, well, not the one thing, but it seemed to be the most consistent thing. But yeah, Joe Panic. That's Joe Panic. Don't uh, panic. Joe Joe Panic at the disco. <laughs> yeah. Right? All right. I think that's a good place to put a cap. In episode 75, we've done 75 of these episodes. That is bonkers. Um, and this was a fun one. Well, not fun necessarily in subject matter. We wish Jacob DeGrom um, a very pleasant, good, get healthy soon. But yeah. um, real baseball this week, Thursday, uh, that we get to talk about next week. Hopefully Max Scherzer pitches in that game. Um, we'll keep you updated on the Pleasant yeah. Evening Podcast next week. For Jack Hendon, I've been Sam Lebowitz and Mets fans. Have a pleasant evening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.